heads up. This episode, Sebastian and John beam up three-breasted catwomen, Jordash jeans, and sexy granny dances as we go to warp speed on Here's Why It's Great. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to Here's Why It's Great, the podcast where we take what you hate and tell you why it's great. I'm Sebastian Kadlicic. And I am John Bring. And today we are talking about another listener-suggested item. Yes, another film suggested by a listener. But hey, before we get started, oh yes, I just wanted to do one quick segment, which is Here's Why It's Great wrap-up, where okay. <laughs> we talk about one of our prior episodes. Oh, okay. So this is about the Megadeth episode. In the episode, we talk about Dave Mustaine, the actor, right? Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) We talk about his voice, how he would make a great actor, how he's got such a unique voice, how he performs a song like an actor would perform, how he would be a great actor. One thing, we said there was also nobody who could play him in a a biopic about Dave Mustaine. Uh, A listener, Tyler remarked to me that one man looks exactly like Dave Mustaine and he's totally right. Who? Do you know who David Wenham is? He played Aomer in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, And he yeah, played yeah, yeah. the bad guy in Iron Fist season one. Yeah. He's yeah. pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh, but he looks so much like Dave Mustaine. It's crazy. He Red hair and everything. He could do it. I think he could do it. But more importantly... We did finally look up Dave Mustaine's, David Mustaine's even, one and only acting role on screen, that being Black Scorpion. The role, Torchy Thompson. (laughs) And as suspected, he was a bad guy. He was an arsonist, as we guessed based on the name Torchy, Uh because we wondered if it was because of his hair. Yeah. But no, it's because he sprays gasoline on things and lights them on fire. Including people. He's a dangerous man. And uh, Sebastian, you're an yes. actor. Yeah, you you've got training. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got a good uh, knowledge of these things. What, how would you rate Mr. Mustaine's acting style, his performance? How do you think that he came off in that episode of Black Scorpion? Um, well, so A plus <laughs> plus. Here's what I'll say. This was what the '90s. Oh yeah, the whole clip, like it's a pretty extensive clip of you know other actors are involved. Yes, we watched a, a, a about a nine minute clip that was just Dave Mustaine scenes yeah. uh, edited out of the rest of the episode, so we don't know what the rest of the episode had, but we got a pretty good idea based on the scenes that we saw. Yeah, you get a good idea of what the show is, what they're going for, pretty much everybody's level. Yes. And I would say he was not that far below what everyone else was doing. Yeah. It was one of those 90s shows that felt very much like it was made for $10 for TNT. Yeah. It was actually sci-fi. Oh, oh, Before it was S-Y-F-Y, it was still sci-fi spelled the normal way, the proper way. Right. Uh, But yeah, it was sci-fi, so it probably was made for like dirt cheap. Yeah. And it felt that way. And I mean, look, I, I grew up watching those things i'm sure i think i even told you i was like man if i had known this was on at the time i probably would have watched it yeah you got attractive women you've got good action well good got action questionable <laughs> but uh you got superhero antics i mean yeah, yeah it was and you only had so much to choose from at that time it's not the you know wealth that everybody has now so i probably would have watched it but in that clip there were other actors in the scenes and they had you know stuff between just the two of these two uh actors that were like a man and a woman that were in a car together and stuff so my point is he was of the time you know it's it's not like he was in a movie with glenn close meryl streep and john malkovich 
and I would be like, oh, wow, he doesn't belong. I understand why it was his only role yeah. that he ever did, and it was, you know, just objectively not great. Sorry, David. But it was the 90s, and it was a show on sci-fi, and, like, nobody was, you know, Laurence Olivier on the show. So no. everybody was just there having fun. I thought it was cool that he did it. Um, oh, one thing that he did was all of his own fighting. Like, there was a, <laughs> like basically of this nine-minute clip, five minutes, a good solid five minutes of him is just throwing punches and kicks. He yeah. does some good high kicks. Uh-huh. He does all his own tumbling and, and punching and stuff. And Power he, slides. Yeah, a lot of... and uh, Oh, and I have to mention that solos from a couple of his songs, from Holy Wars to Punishment Do and from Hangar 18, the solos start when he starts fighting. So I kind of love that about it, that they got in some Megadeth while Dave Mustaine was fighting with the dude. Uh, but I did appreciate that he did all of his own stunts, uh-huh. apparently, and uh, did all of his own fighting. The, the script is not the best. It's definitely like first draft theater i think Uh, and it was trying to be like very like kitschy uh yeah like kitschy clever and sort of missed the mark a little bit but uh i do think it was uh, a hilarious little example like you were saying of 90s cheese uh which i enjoy there was a i mean there's a ton of shows that were on around that same time that were of the same tone and style totally like it kind of reminded me of the quality it was less quality than this but of the flash tv show from the early 90s uh-huh. with john I'm sure wesley ship i'm sure that's what they were going for was that sort of dark superhero-y you know but that still had some humor and, yeah and acknowledged some cheese and yeah stuff. but yeah it was it was really fun to watch him that fight choreography it's pretty clear that it is him because it's not yeah. super awesome it's not very slick it's like they're just actually improvising a fight like yeah. they took a one stage combat class and they're like we got this yeah yeah just yeah. let us go just roll camera yeah, just... how hard could it be it's sort of like the real fight in fight club where people are sort of just like flailing at each other mm-hmm. which hey a lot of fights that's kind of how it is yeah absolutely in real life it is in real life yeah but yeah it was really fun i'm glad you found that i'm glad that we did uh check it out yeah our our uh, curiosity was was sated, sated. Yeah, yeah. I, and it was also just hilarious because I think almost every line that he spoke in that thing was dubbed. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we'll probably have to post it on the Facebook or something. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, which make sure to go like us on Facebook, on Instagram. We're at HWIG Podcast on Facebook. We're at HWIG Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter. Tell us what you hate so we can tell you why it is great, which gets us back to the topic at hand. Oh, yes. Oh, Sebastian. Yes. We've got another rough one. We just we just got done last week with Transylvania 65000. Notice Lindsay Calhoun Bring, our guest on that episode, is not here today. <laughs> She's like, never again. She, yeah, she swore us <laughs> off. Not She's... really. She'll, she'll definitely be back. But today, what are we doing? Today we are doing Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And and who is the suggester, and how did we get this? Uh, this was suggested by Patrick. It was suggested through email, I believe. I'm friends with Patrick. And he suggested a couple things, which maybe we'll get to later. But this one really jumps out because it's Star Trek. And oh, yeah. It's interesting to find people that are into sci-fi, as Patrick is, uh, and as we are. But it's interested, interesting to find people that are into sci-fi, that are into these movies and stuff, that are like, oh, it's really hard to find anything redeemable about this entry into the canon. Oh, no. You know, are so, we in for another Transylvania 65000 situation? It's I don't know. I'm Because I, I don't really remember this one. You know, no, I watched all either. the Star Trek movies when they... Uh, if not when they came out, then I, you know, went back and watched them and saw a bunch of them on TV. And I had a couple on VHS. I remember the next one. I remember seeing the next one in the theater, which was Star Trek Six, <laughs> obviously. Um, That's the one with, um, is Elizabeth 
Perkins or Kim Cattrall or somebody like that. Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, for whatever reason, get those two actresses mixed up. I think they had kind of similar career trajectories mm. in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Kim Cattrall would go on to much bigger things than Sex in the City yeah. with uh, famed comedian uh, Sarah Jessica <laughs> Parker. Listen to Transylvania yep. 65,000 episode and you'll get that one. But uh, yeah, I don't. This one, I remember literally one thing about this movie. What's that? And that is Uhura doing a quote unquote sexy dance. That's, I just remember like watching some sort of retrospective on the series mm-hmm. and them taking out like 10 minutes of this documentary to talk about <laughs> how awkward this movie was, but specifically how awkward that dance was. That's funny. I actually don't remember that part of it. And I wasn't sure if I had seen this movie or not based on a couple of things that I read and like the summary of this movie. So here's the sort of little synopsis. Captain Kirk and his crew must deal with Mr. Spock's long lost half brother who hijacks the enterprise for an obsessive search for God at the center of the galaxy. I read that and I was like, that doesn't sound familiar at all. I don't think I've seen this movie. Yeah. But then isn't the first one like they encounter God? Isn't that the Star Trek, the motion picture? Isn't that the plot of that one too? I think so. Or like a godlike entity? Presence, an entity. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I don't remember. I remember being really bored by the early Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The first one, I feel like the initial docking sequence just to get onto the Enterprise is like 15 minutes long (laughs) of just them floating by it very slowly and uh, looking and shots of the actors looking on in awe of the uh, the grandeur. And Uh it's like, yeah, we all saw Star Wars, man. Like, this isn't all that surprising. But this is the Enterprise, my friend. I, yeah, I, and it was returning after many, many years of being off the air. The TV show was long gone by that point. We hadn't seen yeah. the, the crew of the Enterprise, so eh, maybe at the time it was cool. Uh, this one is coming off of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, love that one. Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, yep. and Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, my yep. favorite of the series. I love is that it, time travel stuff. Is it? I was I was trying to remember this morning. Um, I was like, wait, did John hate Star Trek? Because some people don't like Star Trek Four. I was like, did Star Trek hate? I mean, did John hate Star Trek Four? Did no. he like Star Trek? And 4? I think that's maybe why I didn't. I don't remember anything about Part Five. I just stopped at Four. Uh huh. I love Part Four. Yeah. In fact, yeah, that may be the only one I really watched as a kid. I didn't watch Wrath of Khan until I was an adult, and I watched Wrath of Khan, and I immediately watched Search for Spock after that because I was so amped. From, yeah. the, from Wrath of Khan, understandably, that's definitely objectively the best of the Star Trek original cast member films. I think First Contact is a fantastic movie mm-hmm. as well. I think that's the best of the next generation films. But, undis- or not Undiscovered Country, that's the sixth one. The fourth one yes. is fantastic. I know everyone cries about it because it's, you know, got an environmental message. But Jesus, that was from the 80s or yeah. the late 70s. And Christ, we're still going through this now. Like, yeah. we should have listened then. And maybe we wouldn't need a new Green Deal now. We would need to just hang out. and Just be... an old Green Deal. Exactly. We'd need the old Green Deal. But no, I love those movies. Um, Search for Spock is the weak entry of that, of that trilogy. But I think Leonard Nimoy, as a director, did a great job on parts three and four. Mm-hmm. And I think, from what I remember, William Shatner saw that and was like, I've directed a few episodes of T.J. Hooker. I got this. <laughs> and so this is a William Shatner joint, yes? Yes. This was uh, directed by William Shatner, and he also gets a story by credit as well. Oh, boy. Yep. Did he rewatch the first movie to prep? And he was like, ah, I know what we got to do. We got to go for God. And he's going for like some straight up like Brady Bunch Latter Day Seasons or uh, with the cousin Oliver uh, with the half brother thing. Or what was the other show that did, did that? Not- <laughs> How does that relate? I'm saying like, you know, like, oh man, we're running out of ideas. Let's bring in a long lost relative oh, to spice okay. things up with Spock's half brother. 
Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Now I get you. Now yeah. Yeah. You. Cousin Oliver. Now I've been you beamed get up. It. You're giving her all she's got, Captain. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, I so I read that synopsis and I was like, okay, maybe I've never seen this movie before. But then I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, no, I've seen this. I, this is probably this one and the very first one are probably the two Star Trek movies that I've seen the least. But I know I've definitely seen this movie because there was clips from it where I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I remember that joke. I remember that image or whatever. Right. So I only vaguely remember it. I just remember that I have seen it, but I couldn't tell you the whole – unless I read the synopsis again. I couldn't tell you, <laughs> like, really what the movie is about. So I'm excited about it. Um, What are you – what are you – as far as, like, a – you know, I don't know if they'd still prefer to be called Trekkers or Trekkies. Uh-huh. I think that Trekkies is probably what people prefer to be called now because I feel like geeks wear their love on their sleeve now. Uh-huh. And so Trekkie is like a term of yeah. pride rather than... They've reclaimed that word. Exactly. Yeah. They took the power away from the jocks and the preps. Yeah. Uh, so as a Trekkie, where would you put yourself from one to ten? Ten being the greatest? Like yeah. Yeah. Ten being the ultimate like... to the yeah, Enterprise? Yeah. You like you wear Spock ears. Uh, mm. Just every day, and one is you're you're given Trekkies wedgies. Oh, jeez! In the quad, in the quad. Um, I don't know, man. I don't yeah. know what I don't know how when high I'm the works when I'm the days. big man on campus. Yeah, I guess probably somewhere in the middle. I really enjoy the Star Trek franchise and the the films and stuff, but I'm definitely not somebody who's super familiar with all of the lore. I didn't read any of the extended universe stuff. I I, I wouldn't say that I'm a Trekker or a Trekkie. I really appreciate the franchise, and I. As I said, I enjoy the original series. I watched a bit of Next Gen when it was on. Uh, I had a couple friends that were far more into it than I was. Uh, I think even our friend Sharky is still a really big fan of Next Generation. And I just really liked going to see the movies as well because I liked sci-fi. I liked fantasy. I liked all that kind of stuff. I don't think that when I was growing up, at least with the friends that I had, that it was such a like, are you Star Trek or Star Wars? Like, People were pretty cool liking both. People had their preferences. My preference would be Star Wars just because, for me, it was more fun. It was action. It was fantasy. It was just a more entertaining thing, and I got more into that. But for Star Trek, because it was a bit more cerebral and stuff, I was like, oh, these are cool. Like, I liked them, but I wasn't passionate about them. I mean, yeah, Star Trek is definitely the thinking man sci-fi franchise yeah. over Star Wars. Uh, I'm, I'm about the same. I'm probably like a four. Mm-hmm. in the in the trekkie levels i watched the movies growing up uh i liked the next generation i've yeah. still to this day not really seen that much of the original series which i regret and i do as soon as i can find it streaming i'm sure it's streaming somewhere or maybe cbs all access has it available oh yeah maybe and i'll eventually get that and you know pay for yet another streaming service <laughs> and and watch all those episodes when i have some time but i did love the Next Generation, when it was on, I was not like a weekly watcher just because I didn't watch a lot of TV generally. Yeah. But um, I really liked that. And that's when, uh, that's why when eventually Generations came out, which I believe was part seven of mm-hmm. the series. When Generations came out, I was all in. And yeah. like, I went to go see every single Next Generation movie in the theaters. And when they rebooted it with J.J. Abrams, I loved and saw all those. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, we're pretty much the same. Because I, I feel the less, same yeah. way. I didn't, I didn't watch Next Gen weekly, but I definitely would watch it when it was on, when I would catch it. And yeah. I enjoyed it. And yeah, I went and saw all the movies in the theater, all the sort of Next Gen movies. And the reboot and stuff and I, yeah. I loved them i really enjoyed it yeah i really enjoyed those uh like i said first contact is probably well not my favorite i still think that the voyage home is my favorite star trek movie mm-hmm. out of all of them if i were to want to just pop one in and yeah. watch that'd be the one 100 percent. 
it's just so charming and so fun. Yeah. Uh, the scene where Scotty picks up the mouse, <laughs> yeah. uh, where the guy, where he's, he tells the computer to do something, and the guy's like, oh, no, you use this. And he yeah. points to the mouse, and he picks up the mouse and talks into it. Classic. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious man out of time stuff. But, yeah, so maybe... I'm not the perfect guy to be looking at this movie, not knowing the lore, like the back of my hand, but I'm excited to watch it. I've always liked Star Trek. Um, I think I was probably more into that growing up than Star Wars even because I didn't really get into Star Wars until I was in high school, really, like really deeply into it. So I'm excited to to see what this holds. I'm excited to see what director Will Shatner has done with this piece. I'm really excited to watch it as well. I mean, I, I enjoy star trek so i'm just looking forward to diving into it this is one that i'm very unfamiliar with so i'm looking forward to that and that it was uh that it was recommended by patrick who i appreciate and respect his opinion a lot i'm curious why he recommended this one so i'm looking forward to jumping into it it may be a rashawn situation (laughs) where he's he knows how bad this is which we would later come to find out through facebook that rashawn our friend who uh, submitted for Transylvania 65,000, knew how bad it was going into it and wanted to see our approach. So yeah. hopefully we'll have a better time with this than we did with that movie. Uh, go back to that episode to listen to us talk about anything but that movie. And uh, But we're about to watch it, and we'll be right back to tell you why it's great. And we're back <laughs> with Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. <laughs> Hello, um, folks. We just watched the movie, and we are back to talk about it. Yes. Well, speaking of uh, music, I guess we were. <laughs> sure. Um, that was like a DJ riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DJs play music, right? As we established, I'm not huge into music. I love the Star Trek music. Oh, man. Yeah, as soon as that came on... It was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm into this. That Star Trek theme, uh, Jared Goldsmith did the music for this movie. Man, perfection. (laughs) Like, that was one of the best parts about this movie. Absolutely. To me. Like, uh, well, let me just say, we're coming off of Transylvania 65000, probably the toughest subject that we've actually had uh, in our time doing this podcast. And, man, it was a relief to come into something while not... Like a movie that blew me out of the water. It was so like competently made yeah. that it was such a refreshing <laughs> time watching a movie and knowing that we can actually talk about this. And I had things to talk about. Within the first few minutes of it, I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. I have things to say about this. And it felt like a movie. Like I, I do think that the viewing of this benefited quite a bit from the crap that we've subjected ourselves to for the past couple of weeks. But this was one where it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this feels like a real movie that was made by a real studio. Right, by professionals. Yeah. So even being proficient in movie making was like, oh, thank God. Just like baseline proficient. Like, just you shot a movie with shots that look like (laughs) shots from a movie. Yeah. The editing is not weird. Scenes are not 30 minutes long. (laughs) Yeah. There's a couple of scenes in this that are a little, like, iffy. Like, do Uh, we really need this? However, all in all... I'd say two-thirds of this movie is pretty damn good. Yeah. It was enjoyable, actually. I I had a good time. Uh, As we said, William Shatner directed it. I feel like he took it in a much more broad direction in terms of comedy. Yeah. This is not... uh, I said earlier that it's the Thinking Man's sci-fi franchise. (laughs) This is not the Thinking Man's Star Trek, for sure. That was my least favorite part about it. Yeah. I I like when there are a couple jokes here and there that are sort of like dry humor. Spock does it really well. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Bones also has some some good ones like throughout the franchise, but in this installment there was so much comedy and it was there was so much like slapstick and there were like puns Brad and stuff. Yeah, it was just like 
Maybe okay. he maybe he watched Transylvania six five thousand. He was like, <laughs> the one thing missing from the franchise is. And you know what? He was not right with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the comedy was a bit much. It was a bit broad. Yeah, but what was really fun, what I thought was great, uh, besides the music, was that it, we get to see these guys. Like there, we made several comments throughout the viewing of it that like, oh, they're getting a little older by now. They don't look, you know, quite how they did when for the original series or whatever. But that's kind of cool. That's pretty fun, actually, is like watching these guys grow older. Yeah. Um, that you do get to actually see them age and they deal with different things. Like we even joked like, oh, that guy let himself go or, oh, they're getting jolly or whatever. But it's cool to see like, oh, yeah. Now they're older and they're still doing these things. It would have been fun for them to address more of that maybe. Not in yeah. the slapsticky way of, you know, jokey. But to actually talk about aging throughout this process and not being able to do the things that they used to be able to do. That would have been a fun thing to explore. I would but have appreciated Regardless, that. Yeah. it was cool to see them still in these roles. And to see Shatner running around doing all this action and not being the 30-year-old or whatever that he was yeah. in the beginning. And I was going to say, I think probably William Shatner directing it is why they probably didn't get into the fact that they're all getting older. They're all feeling it. Like DeForest yeah. Kelly playing Bones definitely looked the oldest out of everybody. Yeah. Obviously, Scotty gained some weight, let himself go a little bit. What's his name? Walter Kinnig, for, uh, who played uh, Chekhov. Oh, yeah. Uh, he looked great. Yeah. George Takei looked great. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner, for what it's worth, they look great. I think Shatner, at this point, it was uh, in 89. I actually looked it up. He was born in 31, so he was almost 60 by the time this came out. So the fact that, yeah, he's doing all this physical stuff, he's up on the side of a mountain. At the very beginning, Kirk uh, is trying to scale El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, and he he doesn't, spoiler alert. Uh -oh. But uh, there are lots of wide shots of a guy actually on the side of this, like, basically sheer cliff. No, that's climbing really him. It. That's him. He did all those stunts. No, nope. he didn't. <laughs> Stop trying to trick me. Uh, but he um, he clearly didn't do that. But he was up there. He was, you know, uh, for the tight shots, obviously, he was yeah. climbing. And well, there was a lot of physical stuff in this that he did make himself do. But I do think, like I said, I think if William Shatner hadn't directed it and hadn't been the, the figurehead behind this and the one steering the ship, maybe we could have gotten a little bit more into Generations territory where it does deal with them actually getting a little bit older. Yeah. But hey, saved for Generations, which does it well. Yes. And in this one... I do agree with you. I think if it were somebody else, because Kirk's, you know, especially under Shatner's direction, like Kirk still has to be the virile, like, you know, oh, yeah. guy that's going out there. And they, they do point out his sort of machismo. But that was something that I read, too, was that his favorite stuff about doing the Star Trek franchise was the physical stuff. Yeah. And he really wanted to incorporate that when he would direct and stuff like that was the stuff that he enjoyed doing the most, enjoyed directing the most. And all, sort of all of the actors that were involved said this was a very physical experience. That's yeah. something they all commented on was how physical this experience was. And I will point out that there's this longstanding feud, I guess, or or friction between Shatner and Takei. Yeah. And Takei almost didn't come back for this movie. God, that would have been so weird. Who yeah. else could play that part? Well, eventually Shatner convinced him to, to reprise his role. And George Takei said, despite all of their conflicts and stuff, Shatner was a great director to work with and made the set really professional and fun and, and he was happy to be there that's awesome so that speaks volumes when you already have friction with somebody and for a director and for a much derided entry in this franchise i think feel like this is probably one of the most maligned yeah 
for it to, for it to be that one that everybody kind of hates uh and for it to be an actor taking up the reins of the directing and obviously coming off of a great string of movies those last three were all excellent Leonard Nimoy did such a fantastic job with parts three and four I was expecting this to be just a clusterfuck yeah. I was expecting this to be really haphazard or just clumsy and there are clumsy bits. The ending, it gets very clumsy. But I think I did see there's a reason for that. But it's it's like a sure hand behind the camera. I know I'm always harping about directors. And when every time I talk about a movie, I talk about the whether or not it's a sure hand or the director knew what they were doing. I feel like Shatner, for what it's worth, knew what he was doing. It was shot very well. Mm-hmm. This whole movie shot, I feel like, beautifully. The only shots that don't really add up are the visual effects shots, yeah. which I think they had a budget cut of some kind, maybe, yeah. or some sort of... Uh, Something happened that that forced the VFX budget to be much lower than they expected it to be. Yeah, I think but, I read that in the, the trivia, yeah, that they had slashed the budget quite a bit. Yeah, which I will say this. There's a shot uh, pretty early on when the Klingons first show up, and they're in their warbird. Uh, bird of prey? Yeah, bird of prey. And they uh, shoot a random U.S. satellite. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be the Voyager Two or Voyager One, I can't remember which one. The one like, that we shot into the space. The one that we to... shot into space for Alien Life, uh, har, with har, the, har. like gold record on it. Well, uh, they shot that, and the, it's a shot that they kind of reused several times of a gun shooting. And the satellite was also stop motion. Both yeah. of them were stop motion, and that really reminded me of the visual effects from RoboCop. Which I, are yes, I almost made a joke about that while we were watching. Yeah, it's like they're cheap, but they're great. Yeah, I love it, and that. It's something great about this movie. Absolutely. If that's... anything can remind me of that first RoboCop movie, <laughs> it's perfect. Well, Love that's something it. I was going to talk about too, not specifically RoboCop, but just the visual effects. Like, I really enjoyed them. I know some of them definitely towards the end do not hold up well yeah. at all. But there's a lot of stuff that's really fun. Like, I kind of still, the nostalgic part of me, still like seeing those old school blue screen oh, and green screen shots. 100%, me too. it's still sort of like, it doesn't completely jive. Like, there's not, there's clear line around people Yeah, and yeah stuff. you can see the matte lines around things, especially, a, we've mentioned it before, like, now in HGTVs, like, I have a big, yeah, nice TV. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it makes visual effects, especially old ones, look terrible yeah. nine times out of ten. But I love seeing that, and I especially loved when they went to the great barrier which is far later in the film but they use something that also uh like independence day uses a lot of old films when they're doing stuff that's either like clouds or that's space superman did this as well stuff that's set in space like Mm -hmm. how do you do that contained you know so they put like ink and water there's a lot of stuff in water that they end up using for outer space and when they were going through the Great Barrier, there was a lot of that stuff going on where it was just this sort of psychedelic yeah. stuff that they're going through. Yeah, and I, I love, love watching that. Yeah, it those kinds of effects so cool. are great. And you'd never, ever in a million years see that now. Yeah. No. It's so passe at this yeah. point. But yeah, I love all the visual effects. I mean, there are some janky ones. There's a shot uh, where the Klingon ship takes a shot at the Enterprise, and the Enterprise warp speeds out of the way. <laughs> yeah, it's silly. real bad. It's yeah. real rough. And to think about it, it's 1989, and surely they didn't have the same budget. But to think that like uh, Return of the Jedi came out six years before, and think of the level of those visual effects versus yeah. this, it's a little crazy. But then again, you could say the same thing about The Matrix and then look at The Mummy, which came out... Yeah. A couple years apart, and it's just night and day. I love the mummy, man. Really, I you know yeah. I could never get through them. Yeah, those mu- the, those mummies, <laughs> those mummies, <laughs> them mummies. So I, I think I just am not a big fan of Brendan Fraser generally. 
Okay. Uh, just to be honest. So, I so never... you hated the special effects in school ties? So, yeah, those were awful, man. Look at Ben Affleck's teeth. They look completely different. Why do they change them out? But no, I, uh, yeah, never, I think it was the visual effects, honestly, of the Mummy movies. They look so cheap that I was like, eh. I mean, The Rock and The Scorpion well, that King, one... that, that was the second one, right? I guess so. The end of the second one. That looked horrible. Yeah. No doubt. But it's terrible. The rest of the stuff, I just think they're fun movies, and definitely at the time, I thought they were just a bunch of fun. They okay, kind of, they kind of were what they were, and I was just like, oh yeah, these are really fun. But yeah, special effects, nobody can defend The Rock as the Scorpion King at the end yeah. of that movie. That's, That's pretty rough, atrocious. Even at the time, as it was on the screen. You could just feel everybody go, oh, that's not right. I had a friend who thought that movie was the best movie they'd ever seen, and he thought it had a Star Wars essence to it, okay. which I still, to this day, have no idea what that means. <laughs> but I laugh about that quite frequently. And it was just the debate between him and another friend if the Rock, the CG version of the Rock did like the people's eyebrow that he uh-huh. would always do, like, you know, yeah. the one cocked eyebrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I love that that was the discussion and nothing else about the movie. Just <laughs> did the CG Rock do the people's eyebrow? Who knows? We'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know. But we do know that the visual effects in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, are pretty delightful. Yes. I'll say. I I will also ask this question. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're hiking in the beginning, right? Yes. You know, Kirk's uh, scaling the cliff face as you had They begin the film on shore leave. Yes. Good good point. Good thing to get our listeners in. So it starts on shore leave, which gets interrupted due to an emergency. But while they are on shore leave, and actually when they go on to the Enterprise, their shore leave is over. Everybody's really sad that they can't get away from everything with each other. (laughs) Right. But Kirk is wearing jeans. And those are very 1989 jeans that Mm -hmm. he's wearing. Oh, yeah, totally. Like Jordache or something. What is the criteria? Because this isn't 1989 in the world of the movie. So why is he wearing 1989 jeans? It's not like in Star Trek four where they are time traveling. It's like, Oh, we look out of place here. Like, you know, this is like, no, this is present time on earth. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, no, but you know what? I special ordered 1989 Jordache jeans. Cause they just like the way they fit on my body. He thought they made his ass look good. Yeah. And so we got some, yeah, you know, I always say that and that's the risk you run doing anything that's like in the far flung future. Because ultimately, something modern is going to creep in, uh, or something uh, contemporary is yeah. gonna is gonna creep in, and then you have those questions. Because I was thinking the same thing myself. Spock, he's wearing a futuristic looking outfit. Yeah, very. And at futuristic. the beginning, when Kirk's climbing, he's wearing a futuristic outfit. It isn't until they're on the ground eating beans and drinking whiskey together that they're wearing. Uh, basically, Brokeback Mountain outfits. Yep. Bones very much has a uh, Heath Ledger from Brokeback <laughs> Mountain, the, the jacket. I was like, all right, let's see where this is going. <laughs> all right. And Chekhov and, and uh, Sulu are also there, supposedly. And they quote get unquote lost. Yeah, quote unquote lost. Um, so we know what was going on there. Uh, but yeah, it is a it is a weird question to to say like why are yeah why are they wearing jeans why are they wearing this jacket I mean I guess you could have anything fabricated and I think part of the appeal of this world that they're living in is that you can kind of just jump in and relive any time period i mean in the next generation they use a holodeck all the time for stuff like that yeah like if picard wanted to go to the old west he just would and they'd spend like the teaser of an episode yeah just hanging out in a saloon but i get that because it's the holodeck like that's the thing is like i almost expected 
them to not really be on shore leave. I almost expected them to be in the holodeck. When yeah, when Kirk was climbing El Capitan and he fell, yeah. I was like, oh well, here we go. It's gonna the you know the yeah. graphics are gonna fade around him and he's gonna fall safely onto the ground. Not the case though. No, they're he, on the holodeck, but for real, inches from certain death. And Spock saves him. Spock saves him with some space boots that come into play later. Where he keeps them, who knows? Because he just <laughs> has them later. It's like Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing that... (laughs) Nanotechnology. Just to get off of on another tangent that bugs me about the current Marvel movies is... uh, The, the idea of nanotechnology and how it just makes everything, like, too damn easy. Like, I like the tactile nature of Iron Man having to get into the suit. Yeah. Or, like, even when the suit would, like, come flying as, like, a giant coffin and then build itself around him. At least that felt, like... Well, there was feasible. tension there, too, because yeah. is it going to do it in time? Is it the suit going to get to him in time and wrap around him and he'll be able to fly away, or is it going to hit the pavement? Right. And now it's just like, oh, well, it's just... Yeah, if he wills it, then it's around him. Exactly. It's just like magic now, which yeah. is a bummer because it used to be the Marvel Universe was built around could these people exist in real life, and now the technology that they thought that made it sound like it was grounded makes it seem even more fake. And also the, the, the magical appearing and disappearing masks, they do it in... Black Panther, Iron Man, Spider Man, and now Captain Marvel all have, uh, and Star Lord. From I think he was the first one where he pressed a button on his neck and then the mask just sort of magically appears on his face. Yeah, that bugs me. I mean, I get why they have to do it. You have all the biggest stars in the world. You want to see their faces. Yeah, and Uh, you don't want to spend precious seconds with them pulling off and putting on a mask every time. Yeah, exactly. And you know, uh, I've heard that Robert Downey Jr. The only thing that he hates about doing the Iron Man movies is those closed-off shots of his face, you know, like inside the mask, because he's claustrophobic, apparently. Mm. So now they don't have to do that because he can just retract his mask. But to me, I'm like, you're retracting your mask all the time. Somebody could shoot you in the face, and then Iron Man is dead and gone. And then who's going to fight Thanos? You know? You know what bothers me? Because I that? still read comic books. Oh, what's that? Is all in every Batman comic book. Not every Batman comic book, guys. I'm exaggerating. But in a lot of Batman comic books, he is fighting and talking to Alfred at the exact same time. Oh, I know. And he'll say, Alfred, what's going on? Blah, blah. And I'm like, you're fighting with somebody. You're talking out loud. Yeah, Why come do up you with the fucking code Alfred? name for the guy. Well, like sometimes they'll do Penny One. Like I think when Tom King writes it, he'll say Penny One. Which is still, like, you should come up with a more clever one yeah. because it sounds like Pennyworth and your butler's Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah. But at least it's, like, something. But the majority of the time, he'll say, Alfred, I need you to check in on Tim yeah. or whatever it is. And it's like, whoa, clearly I know who you are. Yeah. Remember in uh, the Justice League movie, he, like, captured a bad guy and then captured a parademon. And he's discussing all the details of the parademons showing up in front of this thug that he captured on the roof yeah i don't know if you remember that scene it's, not really no. it's li- the is first the scene of the movie it's okay, the yeah. very first scene of the movie where the guy is i guess i don't know breaking into something and he has to capture him to induce fear because they're drawn to fear but then we don't oh, really, yeah 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 I then that. we don't really like see how that affects anything later with the parademons but anyway yeah he's just like alfred 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 and i'm like that dude's gonna get out eventually and he's gonna be like Who's Alfred? Let's yeah. find out. There can't be that many Alfreds living in Gotham City. Yeah. Let's figure this out. Oh, hey, Bruce Wayne. He's rich. He's six foot nine. Yeah. And super buff. I yeah. bet he's Batman. And let's go kill him. And because Alfred will always respond with Master Bruce on the other end of the line. And I know that, like, they can't necessarily hear that. But anybody that's tapping into this frequency, oh, it's Batman. Nobody can tap into his frequency. He's talking out loud. Yeah. There's only so many people. Like, come on, guys. So there's bound to be somebody with good enough hearing to hear what's going on in Batman's little ear. Yeah. 
or just some sort of high intensity microphone or something like yeah. that or somebody's bound to just stumble onto that frequency or anybody like, that's trying to like make a Howard the Duck or Ninja Turtles movie every time he talks into that their faces go weird because of that frequency <laughs> oh man I still want to see the Howard the Duck freaking out his face <laughs> that would be great um what are we talking about? Star Trek? Star Trek, I think. Okay, now, I hate to keep getting off because we actually did enjoy this movie for the most part. Yeah, the I really shots liked... in the beginning oh, were man. great. It looked amazing. Like I Again, I was expecting this to be like a poor man's version of a movie, yeah. but we start off in, the, in Nimbus 3, the, the mm-hmm. intergalactic neutral zone. Yeah, Planet uh, no- of Peace or something. Planet of like Peace. That. It looked like a shithole, if you <laughs> yeah. ask me. But yeah, Planet of Peace, and it's like just a guy farming out of holes, yeah. and uh, the, the bad, I guess you could call him the bad guy, Cybok. Cybok. Uh, he's coming in, looking very Nazgul-ish, as you uh, mentioned, and it's just like it's shot beautifully. That's yeah, like great It shot. looks great atmosphere. It really set everything up in an interesting, cool way. Yeah. Even though we did set up that like guy, he the guy who's farming, Cybok comes up, and we see that Cybok is uh, first off he's got a hood on, so it's obscuring certain features that yeah. will play very heavily into it. But he helps this guy. He's like, "I feel your pain. Let go of that pain." And the guy just like starts weeping. He's like, "How did you do that?" And then Cybok pulls his hood down, and he's got pointy Vulcan ears. Yeah, and he's like. I'm a fucking Vulcan, bruh. Yeah. That's how I did it. Well, the guy figures it out by his pointy ears. So are Vulcans the only ones ever that have pointy ears? You know, I that's a good question. Because, I mean, like, there's got to be more races with pointy ears out I mean, there, right? Come on. It's a whole universe full of species. Yeah, we have, like, we got, and just in this movie alone, we got kitty cat people. We got <laughs> Romulans. We got Klingon. We got Vulcans. I mean, like. Maybe it was the brows. And the ears together. Yeah, probably. Probably those funky eyebrows that yeah. just kind of go straight up. Yeah. I could not stop staring at Leonard Nimoy's eyebrows this entire movie. And his, like, haircut, his bangs, his weirdo bangs. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, I've, like I've been uh, watching Spock my whole life, and it's like, his I don't know why all dumber. of a sudden. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Dumb and Dumber, this definitely feels like the Farrelly Brothers version <laughs> of yeah. a Star Trek movie. Like, Scotty at one point, like, I think we mentioned the humor earlier, but... Like, Scotty at one point says, oh, I know the ship like the back of my hand, and then immediately turns around and knocks himself out on a low-hanging beam, yeah. and he falls to the ground like like a chump. A, a Cleon is just sitting there and, like, belches. There's just a lot yeah. of stuff where it's like, okay. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. You could tell that, that William Shatner thought all this stuff was hilarious. Hilarious. Um, There's some awkward blocking stuff, too, as well, but for the most part, very competent. Everything looked good. But yeah, so we were saying at the very beginning, the guy pulls his hood down, reveals that he is a Vulcan. And then we figured it out later, I think. But the the farmer starts laughing and the Vulcan starts laughing. Cybok starts yes. just like uproariously laughing. And we were both like, I don't get the joke. What's yeah. so funny? But I guess the reason is to show that he has emotions yes. because He's Vulcans not like usually don't. Exactly. He's not your typical Vulcan. He actually is more traditional and fundamentalist than the traditional fundamentalist Vulcans who all shut off their emotions and deny their emotions. He's like their ancestors. Yeah. Primal. Yeah. Primal. They lived purely by emotion, which is a new aspect of the Vulcans that I didn't realize. I didn't realize that they're shutting themselves off from emotion was a choice. I thought it was just part of their being, just part of their natural instinct. So it was interesting to see that he comes from a different place that most Vulcans do uh, they made love emotionally. <laughs> they made all their decisions emotionally. This is 
quoting him from the movie. Yeah. And uh, and so he's from that, and he and because of that, he wants to follow his his passions, uh, yeah. which no other Vulcans seem to have, and his passion is finding God. Which he sees as, yeah, the more pure path. And he wants to find God, and he wants to find him beyond the uh, the barrier, the great yeah. barrier, which is at the center of the galaxy. Yeah. So that's basically the, the gist of the story. Which is also interesting because it's like, it's at the center of which galaxy? I know. It's not the center of the universe. It's at the center of the galaxy. The galaxy. I always thought that was weird, like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like... I mean, I guess the galaxy is what um, the Milky Way. I guess because uh, I mean, not, the Milky Way is like basically infinite, but uh, but it's for, not like for, for, us, for us at least. But yeah, but it's not like Guardians of a Galaxy. Guardians yeah. of many galaxies, right? And this is not the center of, like I said, they're not the center of the universe. It's just the center of the galaxy. But you would think with Star Trek, particularly, how fast they travel, how far they travel, they're going places where. No man has no person boldly, has gone before. Boldly going, and yet it's just all in one galaxy. Yeah, it's it seemed weird to me too, and and I think that maybe universe and galaxy in in terms of movies is like an interchangeable term. I, I guess don't know. So. It's easier to wrap your head around. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, because universe does seem so big and expansive and infinite that we can kind of have to condense it a little bit. I'm sure that was a battle with the the studio. Yeah, I'm sure William Shatner had to go up there and throw the script down on his yeah. desk. He's like, no, it's got to be galaxy. And they're like, but Bill, yeah. the universe. And he's like, I will stand by this. I'm gonna. You're gonna hear some <laughs> William Shatner impressions this episode, folks. To, but to be able to go to the center of the galaxy, mm-hmm. Cyborg has to lure in and steal the Enterprise. Which yeah. the Enterprise, if we'll remember, uh, the last two movies they had the Bird of Prey, the Klingon ship that they're flying in. So they haven't even had the Enterprise for a couple of movies. Yeah. For Search of Spock, they ended it with it, and then they spent the entire part four i believe in that vessel so now they have a brand new built from the ground up enterprise and i actually really like this aspect of it it's not all working properly yeah i always like it when it's like uh you know in the show daredevil he gets his ass kicked every five minutes or you know or in uh spider-man homecoming he gets a suit taken away so he gets his ass kicked i like it when when these heroes that are seemingly perfect all of a sudden have like a, a, a handicap me too that's what i love about a lot of Van Damme movies. I mean, I know we make a lot of jokes about it and stuff, but that was something that was different about Van Damme instead of uh, Seagal or Schwarzenegger. I mean, Stallone in his Rocky movies would always have like, he would be losing and he'd have to persevere. Right. But for, you know, Rambo or anything like or that, Cobra, Cobra, or, any of those yeah. things, it was just like, they were all indestructible. And with Van Damme, it was always, he got his ass whooped and then was like, wrong bit. And then would get up and start kicking ass. I mean, he legitimately like almost loses at the end of Bloodsport. He gets like the t- powder, powder thrown in his, in his eyes, eyes yeah. and has to use the that crazy Jean Claude Van Damme bug eye face and did one <laughs> slow more. Motion. He had slow motion split roundhouse kick. That's like Jean Claude Van Damme bingo in one yeah. moment. The bug yeah. eyes, the crazy Bruce Lee sounds, yeah. The, yeah, and the 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 splits, yeah, and you got the roundhouse kick. That is it. Pure, him. unadulterated Van Damme. Exactly. Van Damage, yeah. you could say. Yeah. Oh, what a great moment. Um, what, what does that have to do about? with uh, <laughs> what does that have to do with this movie? I don't know. Oh, Van- the Enterprise, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. So yeah, yeah. That was something that 
I also really enjoyed that it was like, oh, why are they even calling us out on this mission? Like the Enterprise is being fixed. It's glitching. Everything's going wrong. We're, we do not have the upper hand. We are, even though our ship is usually pristine and top of the line, we're the underdogs here because we don't have uh, everything working properly, which is also something I loved about the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. which was they were in a super old ship that was about to be decommissioned, which is actually what saved it because it wasn't connected to the network that the Cylons infiltrated, but that it was an old ship that was like clunking along and it didn't have all the bells and whistles and stuff of the new ships. And so that is something that I enjoyed about this movie Or, or as well. the Millennium Falcon, of course. Oh yeah, or the Falcon. I mean, that hunk of junk, which I still to this day, I mean, I look at the Millennium Falcon, it's such a beautiful design. It's so weird and different and yeah. always looked so cool to me. I always got kind of mad at everybody for calling it a hunk of junk. I'm like, leave it alone. That's an awesome ship. What are you talking about? Sure, it's a little dirty on the inside, but whatever, man. Like, it's lived in. Yeah. Give it a break. Yeah. Uh, the This new Enterprise, however, it's not lived in. Uh, it's got a lot of problems. Most of these problems are used for the sake of comedy. It isn't until the end where the transporter's not working. That ends up leaving Kirk stranded on this planet eventually. But uh, but for the most part, it's used for comedy purposes. Things yeah. not working, things saying the wrong thing to them, doors not opening all the way, yeah. uh, and as the aforementioned Scotty knocking himself out, cold. But they end up going to Nimbus three to this distress call yeah. after uh, after we get some some scenes of Kirk, Spock, and Bones all at Yosemite National Park, just hanging out. Which Chilling. actually it didn't drive the plot forward at all. But it did get us into the idea that this is these three guys' movie. It's about Kirk, Spock, and Bones and yeah. their relationship. And we actually said at the beginning, or I, I think I pointed out, you guys are all on shore leave. Why are you together? <laughs> yeah. You spend all day every day together on the Enterprise. Why would you go on shore leave together? And that actually is a running thread in the movie yeah. where at the beginning they say, oh, I guess we just don't have family because uh, the li- our line of work. We don't, yeah. even though William Shatner's daughter does play a character and a very minor 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 character in this but they're saying we don't have family and guess what the enterprise people the crew they are family they are that's what we learn but i loved seeing learning more about those guys it was great yeah i agree and i think that one thing i thought was really really great about this movie was that there were a lot of setups and payoffs love a good setup and payoff yeah you've you've mentioned it before like how how much you love that and and i think just from a storytelling perspective especially with some of the other things we've seen where that's just not even a consideration this movie had a lot of stuff that they laid down at the beginning and it threaded throughout and it had to do with climax it had to do with resolution we we revisited a lot of stuff that they set up in the beginning and i was surprised because i was just like oh they're just chilling together you know that's not going to come back it's just a star trek movie so it's these three guys because they're you know the main guys but yeah they really touched a lot on family they touched a lot on there's this amazing payoff which is getting to the end so maybe i'll save it but there's just a lot of stuff that they i don't know if it's subtle or not but that they sort of lay the groundwork for at the beginning and then a hundred percent pay off emotionally at the end. Yeah. And, and that's, that's just good storytelling. I mean, it's just good storytelling, man. And that's what we expect from anything, uh, from the director of 10 episodes of TJ hooker, you know, we just expect that from a great, like (laughs) William Shatner. So it is these three guys movie. We're with bone Spock and Kirk almost the entire time. Cause they eventually get locked up together they get uh, it, it's weird because Cybok is not your traditional bad guy. 
He is not mustache twirling. Mm-hmm. He's not overtly evil at any point. Yeah. He doesn't, I think, throw a, a punch or uh, he doesn't try to shoot anybody. He even says when they go to Nimbus to save everybody and they go in guns blazing, he's like, what are you doing? I didn't want any bloodshed. Yeah. But he actually gets upset that people could be hurt. Yeah, exactly. So he is like the anti Bad guy. He's like Killmonger before there was a Killmonger. Oh my god, that's true. Well, Killmonger was a bad guy, though. Yeah, no, you're he right. Was, he was But he had a point kill. of view, and he wasn't your traditional bad guy. That's true. And with this, I was reading, with the character of Cybok, they were very much influenced by the televangelists of the late 80s. No, I didn't. I did not see that. And so... You, if now knowing that, I think looking back at the movie, you can really see what they were exploring in terms of God, in terms of looking for God, in terms of a sort of almost cult-like uh, ability that he had to get into people's emotions, and they would just follow him and be like, "Oh, you know what? I am behind that. I do see what you're saying. I, I do want to look for God the way that you're looking for God." And I think that the way they deal with God later in the movie is interesting. Yeah. And really plays on that theme. Hmm. That's interesting because, yeah, I uh, I definitely can see that because I the whole time I was thinking like, oh, this is cool because he's like a cult leader. He is legitimately very charismatic. Yeah. Like throughout the entire movie, I was fully buying that all these people suddenly are following him. Not only his ability to let people let go of their emotional baggage and, and release them from the fear and the pain that's held them back. Yeah. But just as a man, I thought he was very charismatic. I don't know. He was just like cool, I guess. And yeah. like just something about him. I could see him legitimately being like a cult leader and, yeah. and could see that actually working. Whereas a lot of time in movies, people are said like, oh, my God, look at this person. I would follow him anywhere. And and you're kind of like, really him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this guy, for whatever reason, I'm just like, yeah, I buy that, man. And yeah. So like I said, he doesn't do anything overtly evil. He's a little tricky uh, by luring uh, the Enterprise out to Nimbus 3. He's deceptive. He does take control of the ship eventually. He does commandeer it and take it to the edge of the galaxy, to the center of the galaxy. So there's a lot of stuff that's underhanded in it, but nothing, like I said, nothing like mustache twirly or evil about him. So that makes him a kind of a cool bad guy. Kind of makes for a wimpy ending, unfortunately. But it does make for a cool bad guy and somebody who I actually enjoyed watching. I mean, Khan, you're not going to get much better than that in terms of like physical threat, intellectual threat. That guy is the perfect villain. Totally. So you're not going to get any better than that. And we haven't in the Star Trek series that I know of. I don't watch the new show, nor have I seen Voyager or Deep Space Nine. But at least in the movie series, we haven't yeah. gotten to that level. So it's cool to take a character and make him and the, take the villain and kind of take it from a different perspective. What he's doing is something he believes is right. And I actually really, really liked his character arc from the very he's the first person really character wise that you see besides that farmer. You know, there's a reveal that, oh, my gosh, he's a Vulcan. Oh, he's a Vulcan that has emotions. You see him do this very cult-like collecting of people throughout the movie. He's clearly got something that he's going for, but he reveals, like, oh, I just want to find the face of God. Like, I want to... Don't you? Like, he makes a good argument of, like, why wouldn't you? And I think it, you know, almost to the storytelling detriment of sort of what the Enterprise and Kirk stands for, they even point out when they're about to breach the reef or once they get into the reef i think once they make it through the reef or the reef the great barrier not the great barrier reef (laughs) (laughs) once they make it through the great barrier they even 
pan over and it shows like the plaque that's on the Enterprise that says to boldly go where no man has gone before. Right. And I was sort of like, yeah, why don't you want to see what's on the other side of this? If you are supposed to go boldly where no one has gone before, why are you fighting this? And ultimately they don't. They're by the end of the movie, they're going onto this planet all together, kind of hand in hand. Yeah, they call each other friend. Uh, but ultimately, they of... are. But I do agree. I think that uh, I think it's against the rules, maybe, or maybe just it is the fear. The guy has the point. He makes the point that it's this like institutional fear of this great barrier that's got everyone so scared that they're they refuse to try. Yeah, and that's what's held Kirk back too. So maybe that's why Kirk ultimately sees it once they e- pretty easily get through the reef. <laughs> the, yeah. Not the reef. Now I'm calling it a reef. <laughs> uh, and when they pretty easily get through the Great Barrier, Kirk's like, oh, yeah, bro. Cool. Good job, man. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, cool. um, but I think more it's, yeah, one, about the institutional fear. Two, it's about how uh, Cybok is achieving these goals and less about why. Yeah. I think it's about the fact that he commandeered the ship and Kirk is, he's a macho dude who's like, that's my ship. I make the fucking calls you yeah. bastard uh so it's more about that yeah totally but in terms of cyborg i also like that once he gets to the planet which is shikaka whatever it's called <laughs> Who knows? It's yeah called. that sounds about right shikaka, shikaka. my tt which i was also a little bit confused because they make it sound like it's god and then they also call it eden but maybe what they're saying is like on this planet is god because that's what they need to find it's not yeah. this area so anyway they go on the planet and when they're confronted with what they think is the face of God. I was like, Oh, interesting. They're really doing it. Like yeah. they're really showing you that I didn't think Star Trek would go yeah. here. Usually movies and TV kind of puss out when it gets to actually showing God. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, they're really, and he even says like, Oh, many faces or whatever, you know, and he's just basically like, you know, different religions all see God differently, but it's all the same. And then God starts turning really like evil. Yeah. He it's gets like, real aggro. He's like, bring me a ship now. You know, and they're like, well, and Kirk, again, it was a little bit too comedic for my taste, but Kirk's like, I've got a question. What does God need with a ship? And then God starts like, <laughs> good impression. Thanks. <laughs> and then, oh, sorry. Here's my shatter. Excuse me. I've got a question. I need for a ship. <laughs> Sounds like you're doing like a Michael Jackson song or something. <laughs> hey, topical. Uh, oh. uh, um, but no, so moving, the, on. So God, <laughs> so moving on. So God like zaps him and then zaps uh, Spock and then zaps McCoy. You know, like he's just like being angry. And finally, Cyborg is like, wait, why are you hurting my friends? And why are you being evil? Like, why are you doing this? And yeah, why do you need a ship? Like, there's this whole thing of like calling out, which is also interesting because it's sort of a thing about people's understanding of God on earth, you know, like, why would you allow bad things to happen? Why would you do things that are detrimental to people? Why would you bring your vengeance here? Why, you know, why, how is that God? And you understand that this is not God. This is another, some sort of entity that is pretending to be God and just wants to get off this planet and reveals actually that he's been trapped there this whole time, Mm -hmm. which I, thought was really cool actually that beyond this place where you're never supposed to go in this forbidden zone is you you are curious about what's in there but you know not to go in there and once you go in you expect to find one thing and in fact it's something else and it's something that has been that's dangerous and yeah i don't know i just thought all that stuff was actually really cool but again back to cyborg throughout the movie they established that his thing is saying i feel your pain share it with me and so he finally realizes that this is not god 
and he sacrifices himself, thereby finding redemption. But the way he does it is by leaping into this entity and saying, I feel your pain, share your pain with me. And I thought that was a really cool way for that dude to go out. Like he uses his sort of his singular gift yeah his tagline his gift like he he's like this is the one thing i can do and now i'm going to use it to try and save them and redeem myself and face this false god that i have because it even turns into him basically yeah this sort of face this sort of fake this arrogant this false idol that i've been perpetuating myself i will face it and hopefully save them Unfortunately, it doesn't save them, but I thought that was still a really cool way for him to go out as a character. That's a that's all a good point. Thanks. Well, well Thanks said. for listening. Well said. And that's the thing about it. And like I now that you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. Uh, I was let down by the ending just because it was just a what? Like <laughs> it was like they just ran out of steam narratively. They didn't know where to take it. Uh, also, it seemed like for a planet that was supposed to be eaten and everyone was awestruck by it, it was just looked like they went to colorado or something and just shot in the grand canyon for a couple of days and it didn't look like anything special to me and i feel like i'm sure if they had more money or more time they could have made it that yeah but just like whatever the planet spock was on whenever he whatever planet his coffin landed on yeah yeah like that that i see more as a a heavenly eden-esque totally place uh because sabak even says like oh it's just as i always imagined it it's like you just really a barren desert okay you imagined the southwest that's a why <laughs> like that when you thought of eden you thought of desert i mean you think of the planet vulcan and it's mostly just rocky terrain from what i remember it's mostly just rocks and shit i mean spock sees his own birth at one point he's born in a cave so maybe that's why maybe to them that's perfect but maybe to, to us we think of like jungles and lush uh foliage as uh, the garden of eden or the perfect place i don't know maybe it's just a human versus Vulcan perspective. Yeah. He's fully Vulcan, right? Who's Cybok? Yeah. He's fully Vulcan. Okay. I think we forgot to mention he's Spock's half-brother. Spock forgot to mention it, too, for a good part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, for most of the movie. He withheld that information kind of for no reason other than a dramatic reveal. <laughs> Which wasn't that dramatic, because once no. Kirk puts it together, it was a, another comedic scene. Yeah. It, I was like, oh, they're really holding on to this. There's going to be this big, like... A big blow-up. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was just They like, kind of Thor Ragnarok'd it. Like, yeah. they kind of undercut the big it, moment yeah. with uh, a moment of levity, which is fine. And that's why I think that maybe people don't like this. The stakes never feel very high in this no. because I think the lack of a, a real bad guy, the biggest, the, the highest stakes are is that there's a random Klingon ship following them the entire time and they want to fight Kirk and blow him up or whatever. So Yeah, and even that, like, it, he doesn't have a lot of teeth in him. So it's no. never particularly scary or threatening. And, and by the end, that same Klingon officer that's been following the entire time just says, I thought we... Yeah. At the end, he just apologizes. Yeah, because and, of that... And bends a knee to some fat... The guy, the, the aforementioned... guy from yeah, the Yeah, the guy who was burping in the beginning. He bends a knee to that guy because I guess he's a higher-ranking yeah. Klingon. I don't know what the backstory of the guy at the beginning was, the burping guy. But I don't know. He's on the Enterprise. He's hanging out with everybody. This I like collection to, of weirdos. I like Spock telling him he's going to do it. I can't remember his line anymore. Oh, yeah. But like, he's like, hey, do it. <laughs> it was powerful. That's just great writing. But uh, oh, one other scene that I really, really liked was when Cybok was trying to convince. He's basically trying to get Bone, Spock, and uh, Kirk to turn to his side of things. To, he's trying to sway them all. Yeah. They're in like Kirk's quarters with the big pirate ship wheel and artifacts and stuff from different adventurers. 
and he uses his abilities. And this time, whereas throughout the movie, we've seen uh, him do it, and we don't see what the other people see. We don't see them a visualization of them giving up yeah. uh, their pain. We actually get to see it in the case of both Spock and Bones. And for Bones, it was his pain that he's been holding on to was his father was sick, yeah. and he euthanized his father mere days before they found a cure for whatever he had. Yeah. And that's been he's been carrying that around. Great scene for DeForest Kelly. Just a great scene. Just watching yeah. that, watching the piece of this guy who we know as somebody who is the angriest member of the Enterprise crew, who's always like, damn it, Jim, I'm a blank, not a... I'm a doctor, not a blank. Yeah. He's always been the, the, the old crotchety man of the crew. And now we get to see a peek in behind that curtain to see kind of why, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. We get to see Spock's birth in the cave that I yeah. mentioned. And we see that his father's like, oh, he's half human. Pashaw. Yeah. Away with him. Yeah. yeah. He's bummed about it. And it's like, wow, we get to see some real, these deep wounds in these characters. And the way that both Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly played it was really cool. But what I also really liked was probably William Shatner's best moment in the movie where Cybok is trying to get Kirk to admit to his pain. And he's like, no, I want to hang on to my pain. I want to hang on to my fear. It's what who, makes me who I am. Yeah. And it was a really cool moment for Kirk. I, I feel like the whole movie was leading to that scene where we got to see the pain of these guys, where we got to see Kirk stand up and say, my pain and fear is what makes me the man that I am. I thought that was really cool. I agree. I thought that was awesome. I thought that I, was... And I thought he did a really nice job. I thought that yeah. Shatner did a really good job in that moment of like, yeah, this is... Our, our pain is part of what makes us who we are. Yeah, like, exactly. We're not going to let go of it. But what was also, a, I loved that scene too, but what was also a cool twist in that scene was when Cybok is like, okay, great, follow me, uh, Bones and Spock, because you're the two that I was able to get on my side. Yeah. And Spock stays and he's like, I can't go with you. And he's like, what, why would you not go with me? Come on. Like he's basically to him. He's like, what? I already got in your mind. Like yeah. come with me, which has and, worked on literally everybody else in the crew. Yeah. They've set up that it works on everybody. Yeah. Uhura, Sulu, Chekhov, all behind him. 100% yeah. now, but Spock stays and he's like, you don't know me. Like I'm not the sort of outcast kid that I was when you saw me last. He showed him a moment that was Spock's pain of being rejected by his father, but Spock has moved past that now as an adult man or an adult Vulcan, yeah. you know? And I thought that was really cool. That was yeah. like, Oh, you know what? You got to his pain, but that's not all that he is. You know, it's like, there's a great line from half Nelson starring uh, Ryan Gosling, where he's like, a man is not one thing. And it's like, yeah, you got my pain, but that doesn't mean you know me. Yeah. You don't know me. I've worked past this in my life. And now as a however old he is in this movie, I'm far different from the eight-year-old kid that you saw that was felt like he didn't belong. I found my place. I found who I am. And that was unexpected. I was like, oh, wow, that was really cool. I don't know quite how Bones was able to be like, yeah, I'm not going either. But I do, I did really like that. I mean, I mean it basically just goes to just the a like, commitment to Kirk and yeah. And I mean, that's that's what I was gonna say. Is his captain, sort of the theme of the three of them being together. Yeah, that bond is stronger than whatever pain this guy can drum up. Yeah, this mind control situation that Cyborg has. Yeah, uh, which yeah, I loved that. Yeah, like that scene so good. Like yeah. if I could just cut that out and. Take the other few moments that we really loved about this and just excise all the silly stuff. Then I think this could have been like if they, I feel like honestly if it would have had uh, a little bit more serious of a script yeah. and maybe a bit more stakes. I think this could have been just like 
a slam dunk. I think you made a great point about the stakes. Like the stakes were so low throughout and there was so much comedy that it sort of just felt like, well, what am I supposed to be invested in? But But again, I loved Thor Ragnarok, but same thing. I just never felt like stressed about anything because yeah. i was like well, ah, that's they don't really seem to care that much they're <laughs> yeah. all so like flippant about everything then yeah. why shouldn't i be they that's the sort of i feel like that's sort of the guardians of the galaxy effect where you set stuff up and then you undercut it immediately instead of letting stuff land and really living in an emotional moment it's just like oh let's be funny and yeah, yeah. for ragnarok which i loved absolutely loved but sam yeah yeah it was it just like jeff goldblum in it it was just like done fun and like nothing mattered and it was a fun time yeah i 100 percent agree with you that all being said let's, there's a three-breasted woman there is a three-breasted woman makes you wish you had three hands yeah that's the guy in uh <laughs> total recall total Re- as you quoted total recall <laughs> during our screening of it the cat lady yeah she's not only a cat lady but also she has three breasts yeah for some reason and one of the cool, one of the neat things that is in that bar scene, it was very like Cantina esque, Star Wars Cantina esque. A lot of just random aliens and stuff. And at one point, they're playing pool, but it's on a pool of water, um, which is just a like, literal pool. Yeah, which is now that I'm saying it, it sounds dumb, but to me, I was like, oh, that's neat. They're playing pool, but it's not pool as we know it. It is like a future pool. It's like alien crazy pool. I thought so it was I th- dumb. I, okay, you thought it was dumb. <laughs> I thought it was kind of fun. Um, but eventually, uh, the action, obviously, in this movie is not going to be top-notch because you're dealing with a lot of six-year-old men or men approaching <laughs> their 60s fighting off people. It's not going to be high-caliber action. Uh, at one point, the cat lady jumps on Kirk's back in the bar, and uh, she's scratching at him and making kitty cat noises. And uh, he eventually just tosses her, like gorilla presses her and, to- <laughs> and throws her across the room in a an amazing feat of strength yeah. into the pool. And she just, I guess, dies instantly. Yeah. I don't know what that pool was made out of. But... Well, like cats hate water, but I guess like cat people are instantly killed by water. <laughs> she's like the Wicked Witch of the West, only she just didn't melt. She just died. Uh, I thought that was funny. Um, also, leading into that assault on the cantina, we have maybe the single most derided scene out of any Star Trek movie. I'm talking about the Uhura sexy dance. Let's just talk about it. I was expect okay. I was expecting more because I was too. Kind of. It was like, oh, the sexy dance. Uhura does this dance. Uhura does this dance, and I thought it was going to be something. I thought it was going to be far like more scandalous. Long or yeah, something. it was super short. She moves a couple fans around. She has amazing legs. Yeah, she does. She moves those fans around, and then it's like over. I mean, the guys climb up the dune like it's the most amazing thing they've ever seen in their lives. So she's doing it to distract people, which is what I thought was the most hilarious thing ever is Kirk's like, we're going to have to distract them. And then it cuts to Uhura doing this dance on top of a sand dune. Where did she get the outfit? Where did she get the feathers? She's like, I've been waiting for you to ask for this. (laughs) But she said she's at the end of it. She's like, I've always wanted to perform in front of a captive audience. So does that imply that like underneath her uniform, she's got this like beaded weird out like (laughs) belly dancing outfit? They're like, Uhura, it's time. She's (laughs) like, oh, yes. Finally. Uh, No, I mean, she looks great. However, at the very beginning when she walks into the ship, it's like, her hair is very gray at this point, and everybody is older. Yeah. I mean, Scotty looks like a 100,000 years old at this point. Uh, Bones, as I mentioned, looks very old. I'm not trying to be ageist here. I'm not trying to be ageist. Oh, boy. But it is just Land that, mine. like, it's weird that, like, the sexy dance is from somebody who, she looks amazing for 
basically a grandma. Maybe that's what those guys were into. Maybe that's why they were like climbing over each other to get up that dune. They were like, you know what? What we don't see enough of, not just in our own lives, but in cinema, is sexualized older women. That's You know what? That's true. But the thing that I kept thinking was, you guys live right next to a place called Paradise City. Where the grass is green and the yeah. girls are pretty. Yeah. You got three boobied cat lady yeah. stripping on that bar. Yeah. Like, are you really that impressed by a silhouette with, of some feathers and maybe, just some random lady? Maybe they thought it was like a bird person. Oh, yeah. Because they just saw maybe the feathers saw... and the silhouette. And they were like, like, I've oh always wanted to see one of those bird ladies naked. Yeah. I've seen a cat lady naked plenty. One of the guys doesn't even say, is she naked? There's like 10 of these guys and they just keep like coming out of the woodworks and the sh- it's like one shot and it starts on one guy and then other guys that are like popping up from under the frame and from the side of the frame. And, and it made me laugh because it was like, how many of these guys are there? There's like literally 10 of them by the end of it. But yeah, for what it was, for it being such a moment that is made fun of so much, I, I was like, that's it? Yeah. That's same. it? Okay. Um, it is a little weird that it is in there, but it's you know. weird. Whatever, it's it's just a weird digression in a movie with, honestly, quite a few weird digressions. Um, <laughs> he was like, we need one more funny moment. Yeah. What could it be? What could be the joke of all? I mean, there's ugh, more jokes, just like them climbing up a, a big tube to oh, escape yeah. and Spock, putting, at some point, I guess, putting on his space boots where he gets to float up his rocket boots. Well, but, and he comes into frame from above. So, like, yeah. they're climbing up the ladder... And they're like, where's Spock? And he drops down from above, which means he had to have put the boots on and flown past them above them yeah. in order to drop back down for the joke. For the dramatic reveal. <laughs> you know what? I don't think they thought about that when they were making the movie, perhaps. They were just like, hey, what's eh, funny, man? Yeah, go for the joke. Don't go for the logic. It's a good gag. <gasps> which is ironic because oh it was Spock. God, how dare they? And um, all those jokes landed. Yep. They all landed. Everything was great about this movie. You know what I wondered at some, several points during this movie? What's that? How did the people who were playing the Klingons on set feel when they had to speak 100% Klingon for almost the entire movie? How do you feel as an actor? How would you feel? I mean, obviously you would take it because it'd be a paying gig. But how would you feel if you were cast as a Klingon? And even if you were like the commander, but yeah. they're like, sorry, bro. You got to speak Klingon for 90% of this. You get two lines, one of which is, I'm sorry. How would you feel about that as an actor? I actually would be really excited. I would love it. Of course you would be. Um, I got your comment and I got your joke during it. Of like, yeah, that would that would suck. You can't well, use it for your use real. It. You can't use it for your real. That sucks for those guys. But I would love it because it's a chance to, A, it's a chance to do the thing you love. But also that sort of challenge of how do you communicate in a language that really nobody understands except for the few I made the joke during the during the viewing of like I'm sure there were still a couple of nerds at home that were like oh, his accent is horrible it, that's like oh he's got such a What's that? Dave Mustaine his such accent a, is horrible he's got a Terran accent <laughs> but I think it would be awesome I mean you get the chance to be in a Star Trek movie you get a chance to be a Klingon which is a you know such a monumental iconic iconic that's the word i was looking for it's like it i think it would be really fun uh i think probably the most difficult part would be just getting into that makeup every single day but even that would probably be kind of neat yeah you'd be like watching yourself did it for nine years or whatever uh it was probably less fun for him in year nine yeah (laughs) probably he's like "I'm, i'm over it but yeah i think it would be awesome and i think any actor should be excited to get a role 
like that? And what are you going to bring to it? You know, how are you going to communicate non-verbally? You know, it's like playing a, doing a mask performance or doing a, you know, mime or anything where it's like, you need to use your entire body. You need to use your eyes and your, you know, everything besides just Mm -hmm. the written word. I think it would be very tiring because well, that I mean, language also, is all, freaking tired. Yeah, and all Klingons are playing it like an 11 at yeah. all times. I mean, that's why they got somebody like Christopher Lloyd for part three. He's like the perfect Klingon actor because Christopher Lloyd doesn't know how to play anything less than 11. <laughs> so he was and great. Like, Marty! Uh, how do you say Marty in Klingon? <laughs> well, it was great, though, when they got the coordinates and it was like, we're at zero, 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 Mark two. And then the Klingons repeat it and they're like, what? Yeah, it's not like he was clucking like a chicken. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. But I think, I mean, I shit for what I'd it's like, worth, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Maybe it's just because of Transylvania Six Five Thousand. Oh, the movie in general. You yeah, mean? I actually like. There was no point where I was like so bored. There were a couple of points in the middle where I was getting a little bit bored. Um, it was nothing like Transylvania. Right, but there was a couple of minutes where I was like. Uh, just because the scenes were meandering a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah, And it was yeah. like a lot of jokes all at one time. But little, I was never like... second act bloat. Yeah, but I was never sad that we watched it. You know, I never wanted to rip my eyes out. I never had the instinct to press pause on the on the movie to see how long we had left. Yeah. Which I did for almost every Twilight movie and Transylvania 65000. So yeah. it was really enjoyable. And I just wanted to point out one other thing that I really liked in terms of setups and payoffs. Now that we've gotten to the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So there's a thing early on where... Kirk is climbing the as climbing El Capitan, as we've said, but he falls. And Bones has been mad at him the whole time he's climbing because Bones is a doctor and understands the sort of sanctity of life. And it turns out he also probably because of the death of death of his father that he assisted in even more so understands like how important life is absolutely you you don't want to play with that you don't want to gamble with that but that's not who kirk is kirk is a guy who takes chances and he'll climb a mountain simply because it's there so he falls and they're sitting around the campfire and bones is still mad and he's and kirk addresses it and bones is like you can't you you can't play with things like that like you may not understand it because spock saved you but you could have died you could be dead right now did that not go through your head and kirk's like no it went through my head i get it and bones was like then why why would you do that and he's like i knew i wouldn't die because i have you two with me and that sounds like it's a sweet saccharine moment but he goes further and he says i know that i'm gonna die alone and we get into the thing about not having family and stuff but he's but that that line of like i know that when i die I will be alone, which is, I think, a great character moment for Kirk. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, we get a payoff on that because Spock and Bones get beamed up to the Enterprise off of this planet, Chicago, and they're in danger because now the the pretend god is vengeful and is trying to kill them, and their shuttle is broken. They can't get off of the planet in their shuttle. So uh, Scotty can only beam up two people, and Kirk, of course, says beam up scotty i'm sorry beam up uh, bones and and spock and so they do and he's left alone Mm -hmm. with this vengeful god and this is the time when kirk could die because he's alone he knows he's gonna die alone and it's almost like ready to meet he goes to the top of mount sinai basically he goes to the top of the mountain and god is coming after him and this is the moment where it's like okay this could be the end of captain kirk he's all alone he's fighting the face of god this could be his ending and then 
he gets saved by Spock. Well, we think that the, that's at the point where the uh, bird of prey, the Klingon ship, shows up. And right. Kirk's really like, well, here right. we go. Right. This is it. But their stop-motion animation gun shoots, quote-unquote, God first. Yeah. Shoots God. And then, yeah, then actually does turn its gun sort of on him. And he's like, oh, this is going to be the end. But he gets beamed up. Yeah. And I the... loved it because he's like, come on, you Klingon bastards. Like, he's yeah. ready for it. Like, yeah. he goes in, like, literally with his fists clenched and yeah. held up, ready to go down yeah. swinging. Shouting at his own sort of end. You know, yeah. it, it is that sort of... Uh, Captain Ahab situation there. Yeah, exactly. A little bit. Or like Forrest Gump, it's on top of the on top of the. You mean uh, Lieutenant Dan? Lieutenant Dan on top yeah. of the boat, but yeah, it's that very much like facing your end, right? And he's like ready to take it on, and he's alone, as I said. So this could be his ending, his death. He gets beamed on board, and we find out Spock is the one that was you know behind the guns, and the payoff is he wouldn't have died because Spock says, "You were never alone." So this time when we think, oh, he's finally alone. He's, this is the time when he's going to die. Spock gets this great line of like, look, Kirk, like you are never alone. We're always with you. And you see that, again, the themes of family, the themes of these three friends, their bond being more powerful than anything. I just thought from a storytelling and from a character perspective, that was a really cool payoff. I didn't even, I forgot about it because they talked about it in the very beginning of the movie where he yeah. says, I'm going to die alone. But by the time Spock says that, it's like, oh, man. These guys love each other so much. No matter, even if you feel like you're alone, you're not. They're looking out for you. I thought that was great, too. And, unfortunately, they undercut it with the joke immediately. Yeah. Because Kirk, like, feels the moment. He He's living in that moment. He goes to basically give Spock a hug, and Spock says, not in front of the Klingons. Which is funny. It was That's actually least, one of the jokes that worked. <laughs> it was at least funny. It was at least a good joke. But we ended on that, and yeah, totally a, a great payoff. Yeah. And uh, of a, what is a pretty great movie yeah. i think oh one thing i just wanted a side note i would like to point out we all know how much i love transformers the movie the cartoon version uh-huh. god i know he was not voiced by orson wells but he had a very unicron sounding voice to me yeah he definitely sounded like that very old on the brink of death orson wells <laughs> uh type of voice and it's also you know maybe the the like lofty things he's saying also yeah. feels like Unicron-ish, but I also loved that he sounded like Unicron. Even though it was very funny, he was like, oh, you can see the face of God in so many different ways. And then he comes up and it's a white dude with like <laughs> long white hair and a big beard. And I was like, well, I guess he went traditional with <laughs> yeah. that. But um, a surprisingly good movie. For yeah, what I, what I thought was going to be a real tough a slog time. to get through, yeah. just a real lemon of a movie. And it I, wasn't. I'm glad I watched it. Me too. Because I don't, I, I for sure have not seen it because I didn't remember anything about Cybok. So I'm really glad to have added that to probably, I think, complete my viewing of all of the Star Trek movies. That may have been the last one that I had to see. So I'm really glad I watched it. I'm really glad that we watched it. It was a fun movie with some really great character stuff and yeah. stuff that I won't soon forget. So what did you think? Did Star Trek V make you see the face of God? Or do you feel desperate to release this pain? Let us know. And how do you let us know? We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash HWIG podcast. That's right. We've also got Gmail, uh, HWIG podcast at gmail.com or we're on Twitter and Instagram at HWIG podcast. And you know what, folks? Remember to give us a little like. Uh, subscribe yeah. on the yeah. Facebook, on the yeah. iTunes. It'd yeah. be real nice. It'd make us feel good. Yeah. Feel like you like like we know you're out there, but we want to hear from you. Because we live on likes. We're like Tinkerbell, who lives off of claps. We live off of likes. 
And don't forget to let us know what you hate so we can tell you why it's great. As I mentioned before, uh, we are more than happy to cover any subject. Thank you again, Patrick, for suggesting Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Uh, this will not be our Final Frontier. We've got many more suggestions to come. We can't wait to keep doing them. We can't wait to get more. We just got a couple in last night. Cannot wait oh, so to excited. tackle one of them in particular. It's going to be really fun. Very excited for that and very excited to see what you guys hate so we can tell you why it's great. But until then, I'm John Bring. And I'm Sebastian Kedlicek. And here's why it's great. need with a starship.